In a town famous for tea wraps, Budweiser, and pork steaks, is it any surprise to find out everyone's favorite antacid, Tums, is made in St. Louis? Be sure to check out explorestl.com before your next visit to St. Louis to find an incredible meal, browse concert calendars, and catch a night or two of inspiring sleep at one of its many boutique hotels. Now, SDP time. What's up, Jared? You've been, um, what's up, man? But you've been real into the, the like, symphonic scores lately. I see where you're going. Well, see, this song, given where we're at, what's on the television, and just because it's Neil Diamond, just felt appropriate. Okay. Saturday, we're down here at... The Mecca. It is. It's my favorite place. I've told, everybody knows this. Amsterdam Tavern. When I die, Kim knows half my ashes go off a tuna fishing boat in Costa Rica and the other half in the uh, beer slop drain at Amsterdam Tavern. (laughs) 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 We're up here uh, mid-afternoon for today's episode uh, playing a little uh, America, Neil Diamond, because on the television today we have a little bit of a friendly. Who's playing today, Jared? We have our all-MLS camp, January camp, playing a friendly in San Antonio today against Slovenia. Um, there's a lot of NCAA former college stars on the field today for our full men's national team in this friendly. And uh, timing couldn't be any better. Um, we're going to get into uh, that full NCAA. We have, Yeah, we happen to have an NCAA-ish guest with us today, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Uh, it's Saturday. We don't normally do him on Saturday, so this is fun. He actually decided to make the trip up here to uh, engage. You know, it, uh, he said uh, before we got on the mic, he's like, yeah, it's just more fun to do it in person. I think he really just wanted to be able to look us in the eye yeah. so we wouldn't be total dipshits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see how that goes. In arm's distance. Yes. Uh so I, I want to get a couple thank yous out of the way. As usual, uh, we just have a, you know a couple partners that really help support and spread the word of the show. Uh, first off, uh, Ambush, St. Louis Ambush is a friend of the show. Uh, they've got a game tonight. By the time you hear this, the game's already over, but uh, there's a number of home games left. You guys are actually planning on popping up there after this, aren't you? Yeah, we're going to go tonight. They play the Baltimore Blast tonight. And uh, the Baltimore Blast is one of those indoor franchises that have been around for a long time. They have that little bitty field that's got that blue turf. Um, yeah, I mean, and, right there. Look, and, the, and, the original pennant banner yeah, is yeah. Uh, framed up there. Yeah, it sure is. It's right there. I'm looking right at it. And the steamer's pennant. Um, I, I think the ambush is hoping to get back on track today, or on track in general, yeah. um, and, and do some payback because I know Baltimore beat them um, in a last-second goal in Baltimore um, recently. Go go check it out if you're if you're anywhere around the area. You need a uh, a fun family event, night out, soccer-related, high-speed soccer-related with arguably the coldest beer in the metro area. Um, ambush out of family arena go check it out i uh, want to thank explore stl explore st louis explore stl.com if you want to go check it out 
uh, for supporting the show. Brilliant website. Uh, socials also, you know, because we all run into that kind of, uh, I call it, quote, writer's block when you're trying to think of things to do. That is your cheat sheet. That is your chat GPT for all things St. Louis as far as eating, seeing, concerts, doing, theater, all that. Yeah. The hotels. And we've got a, we got a rush of, like, boutique hotels, too, that are super affordable, way cool. They're a little bit different than the... Uh, what, what was that extended stay? What, what was that Roach Hotel we stayed at outside of uh, Carmel? <laughs> was I it? don't know. It was bad. I don't even think it was a brand. I think it was just like... We were walking in and... It, I think it just said hotel. We were walking in and a, and a trucker pulled up, looked at it, and pulled away. <laughs> That's how bad it was. Yeah. So. Hey, but hey, it served the purpose for the night. And then uh, Chris, Bill, and crew over at... Uh, Pinnacle Loans, thepinnaclelones.com. Check them out if you're in the market for a house. They're super efficient. Uh, rates are being more and more friendly again to the buyer. Go check it out, which brings us to Pinnacle Points of the Day. Uh, you were kind of racking your brain. Uh, did you shake something loose there? What you got for yeah, us today? I think I'm going to stay on the track of what, I, what we mentioned uh, briefly earlier in the intro here is this, uh, this all... Um, MLS January national team men's camp their first friendly today playing in San Antonio just kicked off um, full MLS players on the team um, first note to be said is Patrick Schulte our hometown goalie gets the nod out of the three um, he's starting today I'm anxious to see how he does um, there's a lot of scuttlebug um, because everybody on social media wants to talk about how bad Greg Berhalter is and wants to talk about how far we are behind. So let's qualify that, though. Everybody on social Are you talking about the smart ones on social media or the not smart ones on social media? The majority, and, and you can okay. you can claim how smart or not smart they are. <laughs> but you, he, you mean all the FIFA EA players yes. that, that want to get their A license? Here's what I will say, and I've said it time and time again on this show. If we are going to be a serious footballing nation, and we, everybody knows who our who our big group is that's playing in Europe, that are our mainstays on our current national team. If we want to be good, we have to develop and, and play players in our domestic league at the full national side to to be competitive in years down the road. So. I, I, Throw Greg Borhalter somewhere else. I have an opinion on him. Uh, he's not my favorite either. But U.S. soccer has to develop our kids here in the the full January camp. My pinnacle point is is I like it. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to be our starters in the World Cup coming up here in North America. It doesn't even mean they're going to make the roster. It does not. But at least it sets a precedent. It does. And we need to develop our young players. Much about what we're going to talk about today. Um, so I'm going to get. I'm. I've got a couple of pinnacle points for today. I'm going to give a follow-up to that. Uh, stay in the U.S. men's national team campsite. The other day on Twitter, I think U.S. Uh, men's national team prospects or one, one of those accounts, you know, that are just all things, you know, U.S. soccer. Uh, they asked a question like, uh, uh, basically, who is the most exciting player of the current pool of top U.S. players? And it was kind of going through, looking at all the answers. And I, I, my my response to that question, it's Geo. And I think that where he's at, it's sim it, it, very similar to what was happening to Pulisic when he was at Chelsea. He had, Pulisic had tremendous opportunity or uh, ability, 
but it was the wrong fit. It was the wrong team. He was never going to get minutes. I've talked about that ad nauseum. I'm not going to go there again. But I think at Dortmund, for, for whatever reason, Gio's in a similar scenario in which the stars are not aligning for him uh, logistically from a minute standpoint. But when he plays... How can you not love the way he plays? Yeah, like from he, an exciting he, standpoint. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. Who, who would be your guy out of the you know the, the, the top five that are clipping right now from Dest and Polistic, et cetera? Who, who's yours? Uh, Polistic is still mine right now, uh, assuming he stays healthy, which is the big knock on the kid. Um, what he's done and his form over the last couple months in, in that first league, player of the month recently, um, he's clipping at a at a high level right now. And um, I think it's all timing. I think it's about getting this group healthy. And, you know, those five names that we can come up with, they all need to play well for us to have success. Yep. Uh, you got another one for me today? No, you go next. All right, so my pinnacle point three, you were one, I'm two, and now I'm three again. Uh, I'm going to come back to the loo, only I'm going to go over the pond. Uh, today, yet again, coming off his injury a couple weeks ago, our favorite redhead bags another one, Mr. Josh Sargent. He just scores goals. He does. He puts the biscuit in the basket. He gets the first one in a 2-0 win today, um, uh, uh, you know, across the pond. Go ahead. I mean, because he, you're right. He he is – He he's just – he he's scoring goals. Yeah. So, uh, just for the record, today – what is today's date? Uh, Saturday something, January something, something. 13th. Right? Uh, we have Patrick maybe? Schulte, St. Louis Scott Gallagher alum, starting for the U.S. Men's National Team against Slovenia. 20th. Uh, 20th. January 20th, 2024. Just another day in St. Louis soccer. Mm-hmm. And we have Josh Sargent, also from St. Louis Scott Gallagher. Uh, grew up here as well under the arch bagging another one over in the championship in England. And as far as I can tell, uh, Kansas soccer, they were at a bags tournament at some VFW in Olitha. <laughs> By the furniture mark. <laughs> uh, you actually haven't, you didn't realize, but you do have another pinnacle point, and that is uh, paying attention to your calendar. Would you like to send out a pinnacle point to one of our usual uh, associates here? Paying attention to my counter. Yeah, fill me in more. What, what, what do you mean? I'm not. I'm not stepping in what where, you're smelling. Where's Where's Zatcher yet? Uh, Zatch. Um, Zach is MIA today because um, he's overwhelmed with the amount of kids and 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 kids visiting that he has from college. Um, he just flat out forgot today. I believe he said, "Oh my God, I forgot." <laughs> How can you forget? <laughs> this is the best thing that happens in his world. Twice a week to be able to sit down with you. And how, I, I don't get it, man. He must have hit his head or something this morning and what, playing pickleball. Maybe he was playing pickleball. <laughs> Maybe he was playing pickleball. He's doing something. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some refills. We're down here at Amsterdam Tavern. Uh, we're going to bring our guest on here in a second. And we will be right back. And again, please, 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 the simplest thing you can do to help support our show, like, review, follow, share, any one of those things. It's free. And it helps... Uh, just helps us get it out there. So we'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox, with permission, of course, I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. 
Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you are interested in the secret sauce of success, check out the Baked In podcast. Now, back to those old guys. All right. We're back. That was a little bit of a grunt there. Uh, we were in. We, we were driving to the end line, and uh, we kicked it onto the other field. Really? For the cross. Where are they playing? In San Antonio. They kicked it. They crossed it to a guy making a run in Houston. Really? They kicked it across the river? Yes. That's, that's a long ways away. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Hey, we're down here at Amsterdam Tavern. Uh, another episode of Soccer Dad Pod. Uh, speaking to our guests before we came on the air today, asking, hey, what's your, you know, what's your pump up? What's your uh, musical choice? Said basically, I listen to everything. I like 70s. I like 80s. So I'm throwing us a little bit of 70s here. You down, you down with this? Absolutely. All right, there we go. Love it. There you go. You heard the voice. Guest for today is the Missouri State head uh, head coach, men's soccer, Mike Siebold. How are you doing today, man? Doing great, guys. Great to see you. And uh, heard you're going to the ambush game tonight. And uh, JT, uh, James Thomas from Missouri State, Missouri State Bear, plays for the ambush. So. I know. So it's going to be fun for you to see him, Jerry. Yeah, I am. I can't, yeah, I hope he, uh, hope he stands out. Yeah, hope so, too. Well, I hope he doesn't see you in the stands, because then it'll just be like all goo-goo-gaga. <laughs> yeah, attention. okay. Oh my God, it's Jared Bertrand. <laughs> all <Yeah>. favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, first off, I, I need to say on air here, uh, thank you, because, you know, we, we were talking uh, the other day. We, well, we've been trying to set this up for a little bit. I, clearly, you're a little busy uh, uh, for, in a good way, because you guys kept playing for a while. Uh, finally found some time, um, and you're up here. You met us up here at Amsterdam Town, which, by the way, what do you think of this place, man? It's an awesome place. and. Uh I need to. I need to make sure I get here at a time when I can watch a game and uh, just enjoy it and hang out. So. Well, who's your team from across the pond? What What is your English team? I don't have one. You don't? I don't have one. Yeah. So, uh, I I support uh, MLS and uh, had the good fortune to work for a while with the Colorado Rapids. So I, I follow them a bit. But then uh, my real team is uh, Atlanta. Uh, that's where I'm from and I grew up and uh, that's my team. You're from Hotlanta? Yes, sir. Wow. Nice. Uh, but I want to point out though that. I, I assumed you were kind of parlaying this thing. Maybe you knew some people up here. Maybe you were trying to get a little bit of uh, recruiting in a dome somewhere because I think it's like seven degrees outside. Um, but you're coming up here just for this, and then you're turning around and boogieing back. That's dedication. Zach couldn't make it from Wildwood. He's <laughs> going bowling. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. For, thank you for doing yeah, that, man. That's you. awesome. Thanks, Coach. Absolute, absolute pleasure. And uh, Jared's one of our guys, and it's great to meet you, JB. So uh, happy to be here. Thank you. Um, so, so we got, we're piecing it all together, kind of uh, uh, a little fractured here. We, you, as you just said, you're an Atlanta kid. Um, we now know you're at Missouri State. You're running the program there. 
let's fill in the gaps a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your Atlanta days, growing up, getting into the game. You know, kind of give us a little bit of your path in the the, the pre-professional years. You know, w- when did the love for the game kick in? Where were you playing? What were you doing? Let's let's kind of walk the timeline a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, sounds good. I mean, I you. Know, like you guys, I grew up playing, started playing five or six years old, and uh, Atlanta was a little behind St. Louis in uh, the development, but not not too far. And, uh, you know, club soccer kind of really got organized about the time I was growing up. So six, seven, eight years old, started doing club, and then we had travel teams in Concord, which I played on, and, and, and different things that way. And and uh, so similar to some of the things that you guys did, just played every day and played high school, and that was a big thing back then, and, and uh, enjoyed that. And then... Uh, you know, it was really, I played other sports too, like we all did in those days, but uh, soccer was my first love, and uh, I just loved the freedom to run and get after it and compete, and, and uh, loved it. Uh, Atlanta, uh, former player, U.S. player, Clint. Um, Mathis. Yes. He's a little younger than me, uh, okay. but ran in somewhat similar circle, like, you know, with no coaches in common, things like that. Let, well, let me throw out one more name, Mike Doyle. Mike Doyle. Now that name doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Yeah. He was an Atlanta kid too, okay. same age group, played soccer all the way through. I, okay. I took a shot there. We, we played old man soccer in St. Louis. I'm like, man, this, how small of a world is it? Well, it's not that small. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty small, though. It's pretty small, for sure. So, so bring, bring us into yeah. the, 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 the college days. Uh, I know you played some college ball, and then um, uh, I'm really interested in your, um, after your playing days, you've had many stops at very many prestigious places in our game, especially collegiately. Um, can, can you talk about that timeline a little bit as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was, uh, I went to Tr- Trinity University in Texas, San Antonio, D3 school, really, really good program, and uh, Paul McGinley's still the coach there, and, uh, uh, you know, he's had great success, and, and uh, enjoy those times, and then and then uh, went to, well, I did a little bit of a break. I, I took some time traveling the world and uh, taught skiing, uh, living in Colorado, living in New Zealand, and and uh, did some of that. So downhill slalom, moguls, all of the above. All of the above. So you were a skiing meister. I, I was. I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So it was fun times. And then uh, I went to law school at, at, at Duke University. And and uh, during that time, I knew I wanted to coach. I really, really always had a passion for it, and thought I wanted to get back involved in the game. And it was just how do you do that? And so. Uh, talked to John Rennie, who was the coach at Duke at the time, and could I volunteer? Could I find some way to help out? And and we were supposed to have a meeting before preseason, and he, I guess I called him to follow up, and he said, you know what, Mike, the, the guy at Elon down the street, Mike Riley, he's looking for an assistant, and he just, assistant just left him. And uh, so I'm second-year law student and called Mike and said, Mike, any, any chance I could come down and talk to you? And, and uh, we met and uh, had a cup of coffee or a Coke or whatever it was, and he said, well, I'll, I'll hire you. It's not very much money, but uh, I got two part-time assistants, and you can be one of them. And I said, okay, that's it. And so I spent the rest of law school driving uh, every day over to Elon, North Carolina, about a 45-minute drive from, from Durham, and, and coaching. It was awesome. What, so, what, what, hold on one second real quick. What years were you at Duke Law School? Let's see, 97 to 2000? 97 to 2000. So that was after Leitner. Yeah. Um, so that was like the Cherokee Parks, 
No. Uh, who, who, who was the basketball team then? Well, they, they won it in 2000, if I remember right. And, and Trajan Langdon. That's Trajan sort of, Langdon, yeah. Alaskan assassin. Yeah, yep. they, you're so, right. That, that's, sort, awesome. that sort of group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, let me ask this, though, because, you know, you go, you're from Atlanta, you play ball in Texas, you, you know, at some point in your collegiate pathway, you decide, oh, law school. So you go to, you know, East Coast, to Duke. You know, you choose law school, but your heart is telling you, nah, I want to make no money co- being an assistant coach. <laughs> Walk me through the, your mindset and what was the draw. And, you know, obviously you had to play in B. You're going to Duke Law. Yeah. How, you know, what was the relationship between those two really polar opposite you know pathways. Well, you kind of nailed it. I mean, law school was my plan B. It was a uh, it was a safety net, I guess, in a way, but also a, a gap. Um, uh, you know, just like the skiing was, it was a gap as I tried to figure out how to get to where I wanted to get to, and and what I wanted to get to was coaching. And and uh, but I, I did have a passion for law, and I also felt like I wanted to the challenge of finishing my education, and I always set out to get a, a graduate degree and. Uh, so that was that was good to, to finish that out and, and have pride in that that I have the law degree it's, it's and it's been beneficial in, in what we do but uh, once I found that avenue uh, to get into the coaching side that was what I was going to do and my mom maybe questioned a little bit my dad was excited <laughs> uh, uh, the dean of the law school was was re- actually really supportive and said uh, we're, you're gonna be the guy we talk about in 10 years so it was it was good. It was a good transition. So, did you ever take the bar? I didn't take the bar. You know, it, it, it still can do. I may, maybe will do. Maybe that'll be my last last task before I retire someday. But uh, right now, I'm, I'm all in on the coaching, and it's it's been going okay. So, those early years, then you're at Elon down the road from Duke. Um, what were some of the early experiences? Because again, you're running a parallel life in you know uh, you know going to Duke Law, and you're looking at your peers there, and a lot of the alum out of Duke Law, and you see the success just kind of the lifestyle success that that path can present. Talk about some of the earlier experiences as the assistant, you know, there and moving forward that solidified your passion to stay on the coaching pathway. Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's a great question. And it wasn't hard because it was, I just love it. You know what I mean? I love being on the field and the activity and helping develop players and the relationships and, and that's one thing, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, I taught skiing. I mean, skiing was great, but people come in, and, and, and I love skiing, but you'd spend a couple days, you teach them a little bit, they get a little better, and then they go back home. So uh, the coaching, you have those long-term relationships and, and lifetime partnerships and friendships, and uh, that's what that's the best part. And and uh, we're watching the U.S. national team here and seeing some of the guys that I've coached have gone on to play for the national team and play at a high level. You know, that, that's the coolest thing, or, or, or seeing a guy that's a doctor that, that we've been with, and now, now we got the life relationship. So I could see that early on, and, and I've stayed with it for those reasons. So let's, let's timeline then a little bit, because you're, 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 you're in Duke, you graduate, you're at Elon. What happens after that? What's that path look like? post-grad school, post-Elon? Yeah, no, good question. And, and, and it's something I'm proud to talk about because uh, uh, one of the guys I'm going to mention now is a is a, a, a great friend and, and was a mentor to mine, and we've lost him a few years ago, and uh, it's sad, is Tim Hankinson. And, uh, you know, he coached in Major League Soccer, and he was my boss when I was an assistant coach. And and uh, what a great person and a great mentor and a great friend. And, and uh, so what happened was I, I was talking to a family, and there was an associate athletic director at Georgia Tech, and they didn't have soccer, but my, my mother set up a meeting with him, and I think she set it up so he would discourage me from the path and, and, and get into law. 
But uh, he, he said, well, Mike, if you want to do it, you know, I know a guy. And, and, and this is a guy, Tim Hankins, that used to work at Oglethorpe, and I got to know him. And, and uh, he tried to talk to him. So he set up the introduction, and Tim and I met at the um, ACC soccer tournament. And uh, Tim gave me an assignment. said, all right, watch the games, and, and when it's over, tell me the best players. And so I did and watched, and, and, and I gave him a report. And we, we talked a lot during do, the during Do you the remember who some of the players were? Oh, geez. It's been a long – it's been a good year. I mean, a lot of guys that did play pro, I mean, uh, uh, Lisi and um, – uh, it's the only one name that comes to mind off the top of my head, but it was that sort of like early 2000s group. Um, and then and then uh, we met and he said, well, look, I'll offer you a job. You know, MLS at the time was, was uh, you know, not a lot of money and part-time jobs for some. And so it was another part-time job, Tampa Bay Mutiny. And, and uh, I graduated law school and, and drove straight to Florida and, and uh, went with the Mutiny. And that was that was a tremendous break. But it's one of those, you, know, you make your own luck in, in life, but at the same time, you, you got to get a break. And that was a good break. Isn't it funny, like, how, how many times do we hear Tampa Bay Mutiny? <laughs> not, not only with, you know, Tritt and Perry and, and the original and, 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 OGs. And then, they're, like... There's so many St. Louis bodies that have funneled through that Tampa Bay pipeline. And now we have a relationship with Jim Hart and uh, uh, the crew in the Tampa area because they're doing the Champions League, that high school Champions League. Tampa Bay just constantly pops up. Uh, what, what did you think about, um, you know, you, you grew up in Atlanta. You knew what the scene was there. You go to Texas, you play D3 there. You know, you're competitive during your fun years. You probably don't remember a lot of those years. But then you go to, you're, you know, uh, going to school at Duke. You're coaching, you know, in ACC world. Talk a little bit about the soccer cultures because I think what I'm really interested in is style of play which you will get to here in a little bit with U.S. soccer from a macro standpoint, is all over the board, all over the country. Really early on in your career, you're bouncing around to significantly different stylistic centers of soccer. How, did you notice that? Did you realize that in real time? Was it something you were cognizant of, or was it just all just the same game to you? Um, because, you know, people play differently in Texas than they do on, you know, the East Coast and Tampa, et cetera. Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I think it's spot on. I mean, you know, you know, Atlanta growing up, it was it was a, a lot of hard work and, and, and sort of a, you know, 30 years old, 25, 30 years ago, American style. Like, let's let's work hard and let's let's get in their face and let's press and let's run and get after it and yeah. get the ball forward. And, and, and uh, that's something you guys are familiar with. And then, and then you know, going to Texas was a bit different because my coach was English. So, you know, there was a little bit of 4-4 two in that side of it and then and then uh but we played in the spring and in the summer we played in the the local hispanic leagues in san antonio and that's on a i wouldn't call it grass it's gra gravel and grass and dirt and sand and, <laughs> and uh pretty physical and, and Sh shin guards are uh switched off for shanks yeah exactly you gotta be <laughs> you gotta be careful so that was a different experience and then and then uh you know acc was a, was a, was a good level and and uh you know, Elon. We weren't amazing when I, when I was coaching there, but but we played some good teams. And then getting out of Tampa was was a real eye opener, though, because I mean, uh, you mentioned all those guys. I mean, Tritt was there, and, and Raleigh was there, and and then Valderrama was there, and 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 seeing the way he played and the, the things that he was doing uh, really really opened your eyes to a whole nother level. Um, but boy, Steve Rawson was awfully good too. I mean, he was just a 
what a what a player and what a great person and uh, yeah. and it was a great great entry into the game. I mean, I mean the guys at that mutiny team were unbelievable. Dominic Kinnear was there. I mean, uh, Manny Lagos. I mean, Lasseter, wasn't he there? Uh, Lasseter left right before I got uh, there. Okay. Um, but I mean, uh, Mamadou Diallo. I mean, yeah. it was it was a awesome group. But and, and and Tritt certainly was what a class act he is and a and great player. Yeah, so what happens, uh, you know, so you, you go through that Tampa. How long were you at Tampa um, in that role, and, and where do you where do you land next? Well, well, I, I was only there probably three months um, because what happened was uh, there was some tension between the general manager and Tim Hankinson, and, and so Tim got fired, and so I said to Tim, well, what, what do I do? I just got here, and he said, well, keep going to work until they tell you not to. So I kept going in every day. <laughs> and, and it was, it was uh, certainly not for the paycheck, um, but I just going in just for the experience. And then, and then, and then the, the, the general manager, Bill Manning brought me in and said, Mike, I need to talk to you. And, and uh, he said, we, we don't need you to come to work anymore. And I said, okay, well, I appreciate it. So didn't really know what I was going to do. And I, I walked and, and, and I kind of met this guy, Keith Falk, who's a head coach at university of Tampa. And I, and I went to meet him and uh, said, look, it's probably about late August. You know, I don't have a job. Can I help you out? He said, sure, come out to training. And, and all of a sudden, he just said, hey, run the training. I want to see what you do. And I, I ran the training session, and the rest was history. We spent two years together. We won a national championship. Wow. Played Kevin Kalish in the, in the, in the semifinal when they were uh, – <laughs> uh, he was at SIU. He's assistant, so I was assistant at Tampa. And he was a top assistant there, and I was a top assistant in Tampa. And – of course, we, we won that game late and uh, then won the final 2-1 to one and uh, won a national championship. So I was able to just, just get right into it and keep going. Yeah, so that's a pretty good resume builder to get you uh, eventually to West Virginia, correct? Is that where you, is that where your landing spot is after after Tampa? Well, no. I, Tim got another job in Colorado with the Rapids. Okay. And so then uh, went out there with him for close to two years and uh, – then we, we traded for Valderrama and and, and uh, had a good group out there and John Spencer and, and a bunch of guys and and uh, Mark Chung, um, uh, did, Chris did Henderson. Tri did Trick go to Colorado? I think he was in Colorado before Tampa, was he not? Opposite. Yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. And so that was fun and, and a good challenge. And I ran a uh, PDL team there, the Colorado Rapids Reserve, and uh, we had, geez, we had so many guys on that team that went on to play pro and play for the U.S. national team, and uh, it was awesome. T t a tremendous uh, learning experience to be with the, the Rapids in the morning and then have this in the evening this this PDL team. Uh, you know, I mean, shoot, Luis Robles is still playing, I think. Um, and and uh, Todd Dunavant. I mean, we, we just had so many good players. And uh, so we did that. And then and then I went to West Virginia. Okay. Well, well, let me ask you then, because you're, you're kind of, you're, you're bouncing back and forth between uh, pro and collegiate. You know, you, it, two completely different mindsets for the most part, especially when it comes to the players and the maturity and et cetera. Um, what, what was that process like? And as you're going through, uh, going, you know, pro to collegiate back and forth, did you know that you wanted to ultimately land collegiate, like, you know, up to today? Or were you just kind of looking for a good fit? Well, yeah, I mean, a little bit of a good fit, but but probably a little leaning towards collegiate. I mean, you know, I grew up always respecting and, like, thinking college soccer was something special, and uh, and, and then college athletics was something special. So uh, yeah. that was something meaningful to me that we have special in the United States that, that I wanted to be a part of. But, hey, if, 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 if it had gone differently when the pro and, and, and I'd stayed there, that would have been fine, too. But uh, 
you know, there, there wasn't a tournament. I, I didn't, having not played professional soccer on that side, there wasn't an easy pathway in the pro game. It, it certainly could have fought through it, and guys have. But I, I think college was a good fit, and, and when I had the opportunity to get back in at West Virginia, I jumped right at it. And, cool. and, and, and jump at it, you did, because um, I, I think you took a four or five, six win team that, that first year, and then the next year you guys were 12, 12 plus wins. Um, there was a quick turnaround at your time at West Virginia where you guys and your staff put that university on the map. You guys were highly competitive at the end of your tenure at West Virginia, were you not? Absolutely, and we were we were uh, easy top twenty five team, maybe top fifteen at that point, and and uh, you know it was a, it was a really good group to work with, and man, some unbelievable guys on that team that that went on to play. Uh, uh, Devin McTavish played in MLS, Aaron Pitch Colon, uh, Jeff Cameron, uh, Zach Boggs, mm -hmm. uh, Pat Carroll, uh, Nick Noble. I mean, these, these guys are all American guys that went on to play in MLS and, and do amazing. And uh, it was so cool to be with that group. And then we had a lot of success. And then it's been so awesome now because the three guys that I, three of the guys I brought in together, uh, Dan, Andy, and Nick, are now the uh, head coach, associate head coach, and assistant coach of that program. So they all came in as freshmen together in 2003, I think. Uh, it's not as four, but I think 2003, and and then uh, and then uh, actually, you know what? It was 2004. It was 2004, and then they've they've stayed close, and, and now they lead that program. So seeing those players and the coaches put it on the map has been pretty cool. Yeah. So let's let's move on. So uh, I'm licking my chops here, uh, where my pride lies. Uh, you where, know, where, where's your pride? Uh, our Missouri State Bears. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna run down a couple things here. Um, this year, you guys had a highly successful year, uh, made the tournament again. Um, we're gonna talk about getting out of that, getting deeper into the tournament here as we go through the show. But before this year, for our listeners, um, some metrics that most people may not be aware of um, in since 2019. Now these are numbers before this year, and, and they only added to them this year. Bef since 2019, their overall record is 62, six and seven for an 867 winning percentage. That's first in the nation. Their home record is 36, three and three, and their home winning percentage is 893. So I, I, I guess the reason for me to give you the stats, listeners, is that um, Missouri State, um, we, we had a really good run in the late 90s and through the early 2000s. Then there was a little bit of a law, and then uh, Coach Leamy, along with your help, um, you guys have really made it something special down there. Yeah, what, what, what year did you get there, by the way? 2007. Okay. 2007, and you were an assistant under Coach Leamy. Um, can, can you talk about what you guys as a staff and as a group and as a university, because I know from firsthand that it takes to the university to back a program like you guys, and and you guys got the ball rolling down there uh, uh, quite a bit. Uh, can can you speak about the pride that you guys have right now in that university? Yeah, Jared. I mean, obviously, uh, it's great to represent guys like yourself and the alumni and 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 do these things. And and you, you said we're in the NCAA tournament again, and I think that's a statement in itself. I mean, five years around the NCAA tournament is is an unbelievable. There's only eight other programs in the country that have that have done that this this last run so it's it's been an awesome run and and we've got to continue it we've got to go further and 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 push on 
Um, the university supported us. They built us a stadium on campus, right in the heart of campus. That was massive. Academic supports there. The uh, academic scholarship type situations are there. The academic level of the institution is is, is great. The low cost of the institution is great. And then we're in a, in a great soccer area in Missouri, and this is now home for me. I've, I've been here 17 years, and and uh, you know I plan to be here a lot longer. Just signed a new contract, and uh, that'll get me to 20 years. That'll be the longest I've lived anywhere in my life. So I, I'm 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 from Missouri now. I, I would be remiss not to bring this up because I think we need to have a conversation um, specifically about this thing. And, and I kind of want to dip and dodge out of this because I have some points to make too for just the average listener or the person that in soccer says this is bullshit. When I went there. Um, we were mainly domestic. Um, your roster makeup now is fully international. You guys have a couple backup goalies that are uh, Americans. I think you guys have some redshirt guys that are there. That, that's beside the point. Um, can, can you talk about um, your guys' path and, and why the roster makeup is, 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 is fully international and not domestic? And I also want to kind of dive into also as you answer that, because I, I, I think that our listeners need to kind of understand the timeline here a little bit. But go ahead, and, go ahead and address that first part of the question. The timeline of what sense? Well, just just like when in, in the late '90s through the middle 2000s, the the roster was pretty domestic. Yeah, yeah. And and, and here we are now. The roster is fully international. Well, let me let me ask a question because <clears throat> I don't I don't know the logistics like you guys. Let me ask you this: In 2007, when you went there with Lee what did the composition of the team look like? Say 07 through 10, 11. Uh, do you know roughly what the breakdown was? Yeah, yeah, when I got there in 2007, maybe there were three international players, something okay. like that, yep. uh, something along those lines. And, and you know, at West Virginia, we'd had some, some good international players, and uh, but we'd also had some good Americans. And we, we pretty much started down that path at Missouri State, and, and in 2009 was the next time we got in the NCAA tournament. It had been a 10-year break, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think and, so. And, uh, that was built with uh, some of the Americans that were there when I got there. We brought a few guys in from St. Louis that did well. I had some guys I was recruiting to West Virginia that I brought in, some some guys from Georgia, and then some Pennsylvania guys. One that was going to go to West Virginia that I, that we, we got brought over here, and then one that transferred that was a really good player from okay. Pennsylvania. And that makeup and a couple internationals, and that got us going in 2009. Well, okay. I, I tell you what, that's a good place to stop because we're, we're going to get deeper into this. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some refills. We're down here at Amsterdam Tavern. Uh, am I seeing that right? Bad guys up one nothing. Yeah, you're right. That's right. So Slovenia versus MLS All Stars one nothing. Is that the score? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, Coach. We're going to be right back after the break. We're going to get some refills. We'll catch you on the flip side. I, uh, the term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. 
Thank you guys so much for being here. Okay. Each and every one of you. We're back. It's unbelievable. Um, play this one. I'm playing actually for my uh, ski instructor over here. Uh, one of my favorite. Is this Red Rocks? Red Rocks. <laughs> How many shows have you seen of Red Rocks? Only two. Really? Yeah. Who'd you see? Uh, Big Head Todd and uh, Dave Matthews. That trends given I've done the math. I know how old you are. <laughs> but hey, look, I'm a Gen Xer too, so I, I totally feel you, man. I mean, is there a better place in the world to watch a concert than Red Rocks? That's pretty darn nice. Pretty darn nice. Have you ever been there? I have. Who'd I've you never see? been to a concert. I just went there and saw the facility. How it's, lame is that? Oh, uh, I've done that like three times. Just. Yeah, you know, you go to Colorado and you always feel guilty. Like, man, these people are pretty. You know, I, I need to exercise. Well, I'll just walk the stairs of Red Rocks, and you get halfway up, and you like paddles, paddles. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're down here at uh, Amsterdam Tavern. We just got a little refill. Um, it looks like U.S. Slovenia halftime, one nothing. Bad guys. We're chatting all things soccer with Coach Mike Seabolt from Missouri State. Uh, my friend Jared uh, was biting at the bit uh, to talk a little bit it's about chomping. Chom- it is chomping. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, so I'm going to chomp right back at it. Um, <laughs> we're going to get into this because I, I think there's um, conversation to be had about it, especially here domestically within our little backyard of St. Louis, if you will. Um, are you actively trying to get the best players out of St. Louis year in and year out? Kansas City, Memphis, Louisville. What, what does that look like in Missouri State's program right now? Yeah, great question. And you know what? I'll start with. I'm trying to get the best players out of Springfield. Yeah. And, and I've been I've been a director of Sporting Springfield for I don't know 14, 15 years, and we've won multiple state cups, and we've had good players from Springfield. But right now, we just haven't had the. It's just cyclical. We haven't had a guy that's been the right fit the last couple of years. And, and uh, there's also the side that, you know, we've had a, a lot of success, as you mentioned earlier. And, and if you want to sustain that success, there's not really much time to, to recruit an 18-year-old and put him in the lineup. And you've got you've to find a way to, to maintain that and grow it. And that's what we want to do as coaches. That's what the players want to do. And that's what the administration wants to do. And I, I hope that's what the alumni want to do. We want to, we want to keep winning. And it's, it's not a time to rebuild. It is. And I think also, so for our listeners know, there's different things that, he, that, that our program has to play by. Like, for instance, he has 26 people on his roster. The reason he has 26 people on his roster is Title IX. Now, does he want to have 30 or 35? Probably so, so he can develop those kids that are 17, 18 years old to get him to play. So he kind of said that at the beginning of why that he doesn't have the 17, 18-year-old domestic player, potentially. The other thing is that I want to bring up is the MLS academies. Um, first off, we had COVID, um, which handcuffed you guys. And then also these MLS academies, if you want to be a top 25 program, top 20, top 15 program, there in each MLS academy are these high MLS next clubs um, that have a professional pathway. You, you know, 10% of those kids are off limits for you guys. So uh, am I wrong in saying that? Like, for instance, we're like, where you could walk into St. Louis or Kansas City and you could fight the, the St. Louis U, for instance, well, the, the top four or five kids in St. Louis in a recruiting class aren't going to college. 
Well, what, what does that dynamic do for for, for you guys? Well, or they're not going to college, or you're you're sweating it all the way until the time they arrive that they've verbally committed or maybe signed an NLI, but are they actually going to show up? And, and because they might decide last minute. I mean, we we dealt with that with a young man named Dawson Lee seven, eight years ago from Kansas City. He was a Kansas City Academy guy. He committed, he signed with us, and then all of a sudden they wanted to keep him there. And and I had to call one of our alumni that played for, for Sporting KC2 and say, hey, look, talk to Dawson for me because I think he's going to be better off in college. And ultimately Dawson did come to college and did really well. But you're, you're, you're going to lose some to the pro academy, so then you're going to lose there. Then you're going to be sweating it. Are they going to show up? And then, you know, the, the reality is Missouri State University, despite our success, we're still going to be a little bit behind Indiana and SLU for a St. Louis guy. And we've got to change that. And that's something I want to do. So, you know, the next step for me is to make sure the best player in St. Louis comes to Missouri State University because it's an unbelievable place to play soccer and go to school. How, how do you – let me – real quick, Jibby. With having – this is probably a hurdle you guys have identified – with having 26 players on the roster, 24 internationals, how do you make, when you identify that player from St. Louis or Kansas City or Dallas or wherever, how do you get that domestic player to come into an existing roster of 24 international players? I actually don't think it's hard at all. You don't? I, okay. No. And, and, and we, we, I had this with Parker Marr, who, who played for Sporting KC and second team a lot, first team a little bit. You know, he, he was from, from Joplin, and I coached him, and he was looking he was looking up at SIUE here and us, and he, he loved that when he came and visited Missouri State that there was a very diverse team, and he could play with people from all over the world and learn from those guys and get that experience and challenge himself against the best because it's about being good enough. That's what this is about. And so I don't think that's going to be a hard sell at all and, and to show that you've got a resource globally you don't have to leave yeah. Missouri to play against top players from around the world. Yeah, let, let me interject there sense. because because I think that I I, I kind of feel like we've transitioned Soccer Dad Pod into left, right, center, and I'm going to be center. <laughs> and, and in uh, deference to you, Coach, when I when I think about the recruiting pro- process. Um, Four big programs like yours that are, you know, uh, making the tournament every year, and then, you know, clearly the usual suspects, the Indianas, the Stanfords, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but the the recent wave over the last 10, 15 years of schools that were historically not soccer schools, but leaned into the international uh, player pool and rocketed up, you know, into relevance and competing. Um, when I when I think about it, I, one of the things that I think a lot of people like look at programs that are so overweighted in international players, they're not really being fair with the reality of the toolbox. You have a lot of options at your disposal, but at the end of the day, your responsibility to the school, to the program, is to win games. So, talk a little bit about these options because of the expansion of international players being uh, available the 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 growth of club the growth of mls next the growth of ecnl you just the, the pool has has grown so what's when you look at it all how can you divide your staff up to address all of these opportunities effectively um I'm, I'm going to stop there because they're, they're, that's a, that's loaded. There's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah, there is. But I'm going to turn it in a little bit different direction. I think the idea that American college soccer has been predominantly American is a myth. 
and and St. Louis, it was a bit special that you had an unbelievable talent pool and an unbelievable um, quality. I mean, we looked at the, po- the the picture in the in the bar here that you know five guys for the national team, you know, in, in the '50s. So you look at Clemson and how they built that program, it was international players. You African. Look, yeah. You look at IU and some, some of the, exactly, and some of the best, well, I'm talking about Clemson in the 80s. Yeah. I'm talking about Clemson in the 80s. And then, and then you look at, you look at uh, Indiana and some of their best years in the 90s and early 2000s, they had the Ukrainians and the, and the, yeah, the Eastern Europeans. So this idea that it's been UConn, UConn was very international. So it's it's not a, it's never been that American other than certain select programs uh, in terms of elite national level. And you look at the Final Four this year; the only team that was strongly American was Notre Dame. Notre Dame, right? So you look at Clemson, West Virginia, and Oregon State. The majority of all their, their starters are international. So that's that. So so we got to ask the question: Is what do we need to do to make it? A place that Americans are succeeding and doing well and playing on top teams. Okay, well let me let me just ask a point yeah, blank. Makes uh, complete at, sense. Let, let me let me just ask you a point blank. Uh, being a good old fashioned Atlanta Georgia kid, does it does it somewhat sting you a little bit when you look at big big programs and, and there be a significant overweight in international players. I'm, I'm, I'm purely asking from a patriotism standpoint, and, and let me qualify this. I get it. Yeah, I mean, win games, get the best players. But does 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 that ever come into play in in your thought process? I mean, it's it, it's interesting because you know St. Louis City, we got Kyle Hebert playing there, and he's now on the way to being an American. So. I, I don't know. I, I think that's a positive. I think we've added value. We recruited Kyle Hebert from Canada. Sure. He's, he's married to a lady from St. Louis. He's made this his home. And uh, that's what the American dream is all about. So I don't see a, a negative in that sense. Now, what I do see is I want your sons to have the best opportunity. And, and the way I've, I feel we've got to do that is we've got to create some sort of ability for them to continue to develop past the high school ages and grow into the game and We've got to make college soccer more age appropriate where it's not 27, 28 year olds of wherever they're from. It's somewhere in that 19 to 25 year age bracket. And, and so that's what I think is really important is how to, how to, how to allow a, a young American to pursue professional soccer for St. Louis, for Sporting KC, for FC Dallas. And then if it's not quite working at 19, 20 years old, enter the college game and, and let's build those pathways And for because them. they enter, don't penalize them and not allow them to is what you're saying. And that is not a Missouri State thing, a SLU thing, a Marshall thing. That's an NCAA thing. Correct. You're not making the rules in the NCAA. You're strictly playing by the guidelines they give you now to be successful and how can we be successful. When you were talking earlier about the international game and our college game specifically not being uh, it wasn't domestic like and you and you you proved it I mean, with the, with the Clemson teams from the 80s and, and, and Maroney's teams from Connecticut there was you know the Indiana Eastern uh, Europeans um, this year I think the metric it, and maybe it's our world because there's just metrics everywhere. 30% of the players in the 211 Division One teams this year are international. Do you think it's ever been that high? 
I, I, obviously, you've looked that up. I'm, I'm trusting you that that's the number. I don't know the number, and and I, I wouldn't know what the number was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go either. Yeah. But, I, but what, what I do think, what I do think, you nailed it earlier. Some of the best Americans are not choosing to do college. Yes. And when you talk about the slew teams that you know, the, the guys like McBride and and these sort of guys. They, they all chose to go to college 20 years ago. They, they're not choosing that now. Well, 20 years ago, you Without did not question. have MLS Nets. You did not have the academies structured the way they are today. You, you, here's what I like to do, because I, I think this is a slippery slope, almost like the Sarlacc, right? You guys know what the Sarlacc is, right? Um, be, because it, 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 to a degree, it is what it is. What I want to do is I want to get peel the onion back on you and your program and the process because you're winning a lot of games uh, you made a comment uh, off mic at the break you know when we were leading into this subject and you simply said look these kids just need to be good enough talk about the recruiting process for you coach Siebel what do you look for what is it is it team need? Is it player style? Is it character attributes? Is it all of the above? Give us a little bit of the insight behind. It's definitely two-way players because you can watch their games. <laughs> so so talk about recruiting for Missouri State in particular and then recruiting generally almost as if there might be some kids players listening to this and they're taking notes. Yeah, and I'm gonna start with the the the, the second part. Um, you know, I, I was with with the club in Springfield the other day, and I was uh, and one of the guys at the end of practice pushed another guy, and I, and that was you know just 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 kids being kids, and and another guy spit on the ground on the turf, and and I just talked to the group. I didn't identify either player, but I just said you know every day how you act and how you carry yourself is important, and so. You know, we're always watching for those character things, and it doesn't matter where you're from. You got to be a good person. And if, if you don't show the character to be a good person, then uh, we're not interested. And uh, and so wherever we are in America or in the world, we're going to look for that, and then we're going to look for a, a person that's at least a willing student. They see the value in education, and they see the importance. Now, if they're a great student like Kyle Heber was, then they're even better, and, and and we're proud of that. But just a willing student, and then then what special quality do they have? That's my way of looking at players. What what do they do that they add value? Where where are they adding? It could be leadership, it could be speed, it could be technical, it could be position. But where are they going to add value to to the team? And then where are their weak points? And can we help them on the weak points? Can we help either minimize those or improve those? And and those are the key things. So so we'll start a good person and then we'll start looking at their soccer ability I'm gonna add a part B to this question because it is a it's a stock question of mine I ask it to any number of uh, high-level coaches trainers etc and you clearly fall in that category when you're looking at players and you're watching players when you see it a what is it B? how do you define it in a player yeah, it, you know, it's an ability to, to dictate the game, and and that's one of the things that we've we've messed up. I think in America right now, we've we've taken away so much of the competition, and we've made it yeah. so development based, which is important. But there's a thing about competing and winning and being it, making the difference. And it's not always about being on an all-star team and being a bunch of good players. Sometimes you have to be the one to take the ball and make something happen. And so when you see players that can can defensively make something happen and offensively make something happen or as Jared mentioned be a two-way player and do both 
then that's a bit special. So we're definitely looking for those things, and those guys stand out, and then and then we try to get them to be bears. That's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. You know, um, I, I love the it question. The, the it question, it, it varies so different from from whoever we asked it. And, and, and right when you started to answer it, I, I just, for me to answer it, like, just being aware of your space. Like, the players that are aware of their space, like the Kieran kid that you guys have right now, the midfielder, the small kid, he, he's so aware of his space. That, 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 that That's what's special for me, for him. When I watch your guys' games, he very rarely gets himself in jail because he's so cognizant of what's around him. It, it, that, that's part of the definition as well, is it not? 100%. And, and, and Kieran's been a great player for us and an All-American. And, and uh, he's now graduated. There's a couple guys coming after him that uh, I'm pretty excited to see what they do and 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 uh, we, we got some good guys for the next few years let, let me ask you a question follow up to that actually um, because there's so many kids that that come up through these systems that they're enamored with the social media highlights and the hype and you know for the most part let's be real here the the tens, the nines, the flash gets a lot of love from a from a PR standpoint, from a social media PR standpoint. Do you look at and and how do you balance and or value uh, these two uh, uh, descriptors? Number one, a kid with flair, a kid that just has that fire that can do something special, versus uh, they say that's player A. Player B is the one that is just methodical. Uh, makes no mistakes, super simplistic, is, you know, maybe more of a, quote, a boring general versus the A, Kyle Hebert. the crazy, the crazy infantry. How, how do you look at those two types of players, um, you know, and, and define their value? I, I try to, I try to take that out of it. I try to look at the outcome. And if the outcome of the flair is uh, productivity and it benefits the team, then uh, fantastic. If the uh, the steady player that uh, does his job, uh, the outcome from him is is going to support the team, then that's also fantastic. Because because both can be flawed, right? The steady player can be steady, but he can also be exposed. Uh, the 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 player that brings flair to the game and maybe can take a player on one v one can also be full of turnovers or be dribbling sideways. So we have to decide what is the outcome, what can we produce, and then everyone doesn't have to be a finished product. You know, for me, the most important recruiting that we do is recruit our own, and that means developing our own players, putting them in a competitive environment, day after day after day after day, and how can we help refine whatever their talents are, and and that's super important. Uh, changing the tune a little bit uh, to bring awareness to the program uh, again. Who I've, I've a broken record here. I have a lot of pride. Can you talk about some of the things that are going on? Namely, uh, uh, the, the, the recent news is the university is um, making a big contribution to the men's and women's program because um, I think you guys are getting a stadium remodel and you guys are getting a state of art, state of the art field. Um, also, talk about you and your assistants, and, and, and also the commitment from the university, because I believe that you guys have, have have earned some additional titles, and also they've committed to you guys in the long term. That's exciting. No, that's super exciting, and, and uh, it just shows how much Missouri State values men's soccer and women's soccer. And uh, 
you know, the, the, the field is a, is a massive investment, many hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, we, we, we were looking at the specs this week of, of what we're trying to put in and, and what we will put in. And it's going to be first in class uh, uh, turf field. And, and uh, we looked at some of the best designs around the country and what others have done. Uh, including Marshall and Pitt, and and uh, we're gonna we're gonna meet and exceed that, and and that's awesome. And then as far as myself, you know, I'm, I'm a bear, and and I've enjoyed the time when I've been with Missouri State. I loved every minute of it. I, I live uh, eight minutes away from campus, walking, uh, maybe maybe nine if I'm walking a little slow. And uh, so it was it was cool to, to to sign a contract to be there a while, but it was uh, important to value the assistant coaches and now associate head coaches, and and reward them for their work and. They've both been head coaches themselves at the D2 and NAIA level, and, and, and they're top guys, Danny and Jordan, and, and, and uh, we're lucky to have them. And so uh, to keep them around and, and, and allow them to progress in their careers, it's a, it's a big statement from the university. Yeah, it sure is. And, and I tell you what, I'm, I'm excited to, 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 to keep an eye on and, and watch um, from afar and maybe even not from afar when we come down and visit. Um, it's exciting what you got going there. Um, to, to be in Missouri and to be a, a marquee, maybe the marquee men's soccer university, uh, congratulations to you guys and your staff because you guys are winning. I mean, you're just flat out fucking winning. And, and that's awesome. Well, we, we couldn't do it without the... the, the uh, the groundwork and the framework that you guys and your your group put in. I mean, I used that right when I got in uh, Missouri State. Hey, this has been a winning team. This has been a top team. Let's go do it again. And and so you guys laid that framework, and Coach Leamy did, and and now it's our job to continue it and, and push it forward. That's a perfect segue because I, I want to kind of tie together a couple themes that we we've, we've been touching on. Not only what Jared was just mentioning uh, moving forward, but going back to the beginning, you were talking about your your uh, early days in Atlanta, and you referenced you you, you, you were like uh, you knew St. Louis had pedigree. You were like you know Atlanta wasn't quite St. Louis, but it was close and moving up, etc. And I'm curious, kind of like, you know, because within the St. Louis soccer scene, there's a lot of people that know, you know, most people still call it Southwest Missouri, <laughs> you know, of a certain generation. So, so everybody's aware of it. Do you ever like, do you get frustrated a little bit with maybe the invisible wall or maybe the perception? Because... A couple of hours right down the road, you do have this this market that continues to pump out, you know, top class talent. What's your strategy there? Like, because Jared, Jared's asking, you know, he he's always said for years, they just need to get the best player from St. Louis, the best player from Kansas City, start there over and over again. Is it frustrating? Is it cool? Is it shtick? Is it, do you not care that... You, you haven't made a lot of deep inroads into the St. Louis market, and how are you going to rectify that moving forward so Jared doesn't keep crying about it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 is, it is a target, and I mentioned it earlier. You know, we, we want to put Missouri State men's soccer as a brand and as a, as a program where if you're not going to play professional soccer in St. Louis and you're going to go to college, we are your number one destination. You and also that's, have to be good enough. And you got to be good enough. <laughs> and, and, that, and that's it. And so if you are good enough, we want to be your destination. And that's a big ask. I mean, that, that, it's going to be something special to surpass Salou uh, in, in this community. But we want to go and compete for it. And that's what we have to do. And, 
and we th- there is no barrier. There there is no barrier. There are great players in St. Louis that would love to be at Missouri State. We have had so many of those guys, and even recently, it's only since COVID that it's kind of fallen off a little bit because I was spending weeks and months up in St. Louis and, 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 and coaching up here and bringing club teams up here and winning state cups up here. During COVID, we couldn't do those things. Yeah. And then it started to be a reload quickly to sustain what we've been doing. And now it's like, how do we bring it back full circle? And now how do we, there's no point in trying to recruit an 18 year old in St. Louis right now, because he's already spoken for. So now it's looking at 15, 16 year olds and where, who can be, who can we recruit for 2026 or 27 that is good enough and can be special and be like to be a part of our environment, play on this new field, play with these facilities, go to our business school. And that's our target. So there's been no barrier. There's, there's just a circumstantial part of the world that's happened that we've all been through that made it really hard for me to come and compete with SLU when they could be here local and I wasn't allowed to recruit. Or, or even Indiana or, and SIUE, you know, I mean, there was like, there, there's a weird, not a weird, there is a network here that these pipelines are 50 years old. And in yeah. all that same timeline, guess, guess who comes, you know, St. Louis City opens up their account, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. completely, we, we say the word apple cart all the time. That definitely disrupted the collegiate apple cart for all of the guys that we have mentioned, including you. One hundred percent. It's just changed. It's just changed the environment, and so now we got to figure that out and, and 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 get back in and compete with some of those younger guys, and and we will. It's it's not it's not going to be it's not going to be an issue. Let, let's talk a little bit about. Awesome. I, I want to move down into that. You know, given your experience as a club director, and obviously in your role as a head coach at, at a power university. Um, talk a little bit about your maybe state of the union uh, as to academy soccer, club soccer. Um, I'm just going to make it super generic. Do you think overall academy soccer is getting it right? Are they putting out an adequate number or volume of players that you think is commensurate with the effort and the investment in the programs? Or do you think it's uh, jump the shark? Is it chaotic? Just what, what's your two cents on academy soccer as it relates to true pathway of funneling kids into the collegiate and beyond levels? Yeah, I think, I think, I think there's a, there's a pretty good success of creating an environment for guys like Josh Sargent to be successful. And so the elite player, and, and I think we're catering to the elite player pretty well. I don't know that we're catering to the rest as well. And I think one of the things is travel's become too much. I mean, if you spent the hours that you spend traveling with the ball, playing indoors on a, a bad field on a Tuesday night, you're going to be better off. And and so I think we're specializing, not specializing, but we're, we're bringing together players too early into sort of controlled environments and, and bring them all onto the same teams. I think there was a huge value when I grew up in Atlanta, and I think from the outside looking in, even more so in St. Louis, of having five, six, seven elite teams and rocking up on a Saturday morning and you're competing and going after it. And we've taken that away by these huge travel distance in these in this early commitment to these elite teams there's a there's an age to do that but it's not 12. i think that's where when odp worked that's the niche that they kind of they were good at like if you were an odp you didn't travel around the clock with your with your club team you, it was more uh, get in get out but it was highly concentrated with high level coaches it's almost like we need like that odp program again to to to, to, to kind of alleviate some of those problems that you're talking about with 
just the all-out travel. Yeah, I, I, I w- something like that. And I think I think we've also got to make sure that we're developing more guys uh, longer. And, you know, one of the things that, 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 that troubles me at times about having the roster limit, as you mentioned, at 26, is I believe in, in, in keeping guys in the game and allowing people to develop at their own timeline and their own pathway. I mean, Ian Jones is a guy from just across the river in, in Illinois that, you know, I recruited him and he was he was a late developer and he came to Missouri State and he put a couple of years in before he was ever really a high impact guy. In fact, one year, you know, he wasn't even on the roster. He was just there to be, you know, training and lifting and trying to trying to get himself to that point because I couldn't have, couldn't get him in the 26. But Ian Jones was was a great player for us by the end of his career. So we've got to create more pathways for late developers. Jeff Cameron came to West Virginia. I didn't have a roster limit. He walked on at West Virginia. Yeah, we and, had we had him on, and he talked about that. And, and, and we were the only school that even talked to him. It wasn't like a great recruitment job. It was just that we were the only ones. And so I believe in those things, and, and we got to create more pathways for young men. Let me ask you a question. Uh, just from a goal standpoint, how do you balance the goals of uh, A, winning, uh, B, uh, Funneling kid players, kids into the professional ranks, um, you know, because there's a lot of like expectations on a, on a program. It's not just to win conference or go to the tournament and ideally win a national championship, but it's also kind of the lore of here's our resume. This is what we do. We develop if you're, men. If you're a power player, you know, we 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 get seven players a year. They're going to be MLS draft picks, and two are going to go to Europe. How, how do you now, with the increased expectation and the competition for those elite players from academy level and such that can skip college, do, does that come into the equation uh, from a overall strategic standpoint? Or is it, look, I want the best players and Missouri State's going to win games? Uh, it's, it's both of the thing, those things. I mean... It, Good players, good people, and we're going to win games. And if we do that well, you're going to have opportunities. One of the things I talk about with recruits is not are you going to get a chance to play pro, and are you going to stick and last as a pro. And so one of the things we sell is not the volume, but the lasting legacy. I mean, we've got a guy right now, from Trevor Spangenberg, from just outside of Chicago. I think he's on the 11th or 12th year in the pro game. And so it's not enough just to get a year in pro. you, you got to last. And so can we develop players that have the skill set, the maturity, are men that can last and stick in the pro game? And, and that legacy is something we're proud of, and it's a, a legacy that helps us recruit and helps us sustain and keep guys in the program. That's awesome. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, and I'm going back to the international thing. For me, like, I think us domestic players or ex-players or maybe people that have kids that, that think they're players, um, I, I think we need to look ourselves in the mirrors because in the development of our academies and our travel and our pay-to-play, I think that we've developed a, a sense of entitlement in our American youth soccer players that, okay, when we go to university and we don't start and play every game, along with the stupid transfer portal and, and, and all the other things that go in there. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even like, touch on that, like, did we? I, I just, like, I, I think if we look ourselves in the mirror and, and try to coach our domestic youth that are good players that are able to play is, hey, go into a program. Don't buy your time, but work your ass off. If you don't play every minute and, and become a youth or a freshman All-American, that's okay. Play sophomore year. Get better. And then by your junior and senior year, like, 
back in the day, there was like when people got the ability to go to a university, it was an honor. And they were like, I'm going to stick it out because I just have to. This is the only place I got. Nowadays, there's a lot of cases where eh, I'm having a little bit of adversity and, and this is bullshit because I've always been great. And, and I think that's that's where we need to look our own domestic game in the face, in the mirror a little bit and, and just get flat out better. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, if, if, I, if I could win a national championship with, with 26 guys from Springfield, Missouri, I'd absolutely do it. Why, why not? I could walk out my front door, recruit the players and, and be done with it. But you've got to come in and compete and, and fight for those opportunities, and they are developed over time. And and uh, Mike Creek, you know, from here from here from St. Louis, he was a goalie for us, and then played for St. Louis City's second team, and and sat on the bench with the first team, I think, a few times. And you know, Mike came in and he did that. He redshirted. He did those things. He fought for it. Cal Hebert redshirted six and a half years there. Yeah, Cal Hebert was six and a half years, two redshirts. I mean. It is about staying in the game, staying in the game at a high level, having longevity, having determination, and you're going to fail and then fail and get up and do it again. And I think that's where we're, we're missing. We, we're not missing on all cases. There's, you can generalize anything, but there are cases where we are we are given people a false sense that you're always going to succeed and there's there's a lot of failure i mentioned it i got fired at the tampa bay mutiny i had to start over again i had to start over from west virginia sometimes you have to do those things but you're still good at what you're doing you're still persistent and you're still believing what you're trying to accomplish and you go get it done let's 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 shift uh uh acronyms and get to usmnt uh, away from NCAA, uh, because we were talking about it before we came on the air at the beginning. Uh, you know, we're sitting here in real time watching the friendly between U.S. Slovenia. We're still down one nothing. Uh, the conversation we were having was kind of the the hubbubaloo over uh, the, the the full on MLS roster. You know, under Burhalter's guys. Um, you're pretty. Cl- I mean, look, you're you're on the inside of. U.S. soccer as a coach at a power university. Uh, what's your take on this when uh, U.S. soccer pulls in a camp of all MLS versus, you know, pulling the Europeans back? Uh, good, bad, indifferent, good long term? Is it a PR stunt? Is it we just don't want to piss off European teams? What's your take on this um, o- overall? Yeah, I think I think it's good to do. I mean, I think there, there's there's certainly no negative of, of looking at what we have playing in MLS right now and, and comparing those guys. But again, I, I think they've got to be able to step in and and displace a guy. If 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 if, if Pulisic is, is the top guy or or Gio or someone like that, and they're playing in Europe, then the the guy that's playing in MLS has got to show that he can displace that guy and take his position. Or like like Perfigans, if, if Sergino Dest is the guy and our guy, and he's playing all over Europe, and he's our class, well, a left back like Dewan Jones coming in from our domestic NCAA game, he gets his shot. That's what you're talking about. Be better. Be, be better. And and do you think I, I don't think Brazilians complain that their best players don't play in the Brazilian league, right? <laughs> so so why do we? This is uniquely an American trait. Well, no, I don't think so because the English complain about there not being enough English in, in well, the Premier they, League. The English the, complain about everything, but they true. also they have shit food. So <laughs> well, Mexico is not fond of their players playing elsewhere, and they don't want anybody else to play in their leagues. Yeah, I take it back. It's not uniquely. It's just dipshit. <laughs> countries complain about that <laughs> so, but but I what I do think is is American players need to be challenged themselves in the best level and I think as our league continues to get better it'll be become a, 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 the best level and I think as as American soccer is growing 
when, when MLS is the best league in the world, then it'll be the best place for Americans to play. And until that day, Americans are going to have to challenge themselves in other top leagues and push themselves. But that doesn't mean we should discount uh, MLS and the quality and, and the players that are in that league because they are well, top players. Well, let, let me ask you a question then uh, along those lines, because obviously for a number of years now, you've had locker rooms loaded with Europeans and you know other national uh, players. Uh, what's their take on MLS from... You know, sitting on the inside and just bullshitting with your guys—is it—is it a dream? Is it a goal, or is the opportunity to come to America to play, to compete, to get a degree, and then go home and be an accountant in Stockholm or whatever? Like, what's what's the draw, and how are they viewing MLS overall? They—they they, they view it with a lot of quality and a lot of respect. And if I pulled the locker room. You know, we got Eli Zelkin is from California, and we've got guys from Norway and Germany and, and, and England and wherever. Actually, I don't know if we have a German right now. We did. But in, in any case, the the uh, most of the guys would like to play here. I mean, the, the reality is, I think if you said, okay, could you go play for Bayern Munich or Manchester United, they'd probably go, well, may, well maybe not Manchester United right now. But, well, even but, Jared would say yes y- to that. Yeah. But if you just said, generally <laughs> speaking, do they want to play in MLS? 100%. Wherever they're from, American or overseas, they respect the league. And it is a top league. Look at look at the talent and the, and the young talent that is getting attracted to MLS from all over the world. And that's going to make our game better. The Cade Cow Kid is an example of that. I love that guy. I, I, I legitimately love... I, I wish I we think, could keep him here. I was a little... Fr- you know, I typically... You know, I don't get married to players just having been a, a Chelsea fan for f- fucking almost 40 years now. I'm used to it. I get it. You, in and out. For whatever reason, Cade Cowell, I didn't want to see him leave. I wanted him to stay. If anything, I would have loved him to come to Chelsea. But... What, what do you think? You, you're familiar, obviously. Uh, I want to know Mexico, is that a good move? Do you think that's a good move for him? To go to Mexico? Yeah. You know, I, I think it is a good experience. I think, I think there's something to be said for getting experience outside of your comfort zone and going yeah. to different environments and, and testing yourself. And you don't have to always stay or make that a life commitment, but I think there's a, a huge value. I mean, uh, look at we've got a guy who's, who's a Brooklyn Reigns who plays for Houston Dynamo who's a, a nephew of one of our athletic directors and he's talking about some maybe some different moves and you know I, they asked me my thoughts and I said well look challenge yourself get outside see something if you succeed there great if you failed no problem you can learn from it uh, and I know we're getting in uh, short on time here I, I, I would kick myself in the booty if I didn't bring this up can, can you talk about coach John Leamy and what he means to you um, <laughs> For me, uh, and I can see the emotion in your face, uh, that guy means everything to me and, and to a lot of my friends. Um, what does he mean to you? Uh, well, you know, he, he, he gave me an opportunity when I needed a job, right? And because he's a high caliber person, a high character person, and he trusted me. And uh, we've worked for uh, 16 years together or 15 years together and 17 years out at Missouri State to repay that trust. And... Uh, you know, he is Missouri State men's soccer, period, end of story. It's my job to be a steward of that and elevate it and help it grow. It, I guess to bring in a sort of analogy for it, you know, Jimmy Johnson took the Cowboys to a different level, but they weren't there without Tom Landry, yeah. right? He started the program, and I know that Leamy didn't start the program. He was the heart and soul of the program, and he made it happen. And uh, you know, I respect Jim, that. Jimmy Johnson has more hair than you, though. Yeah, I know. Jimmy's got a lot of hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you this. Jim Leamy is uh, 
He's the most whole person I know. <laughs> he 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 is. Uh, has he ever done anything wrong? I don't know. I, I think, think you so. did enough wrong for oh, him. I know I did. <laughs> uh, I know I did. But I, I yeah. I mean, what a great guy to 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 cut your teeth at Missouri State. Not cut your teeth in general in the game, but. Uh, Missouri State's lucky to have him still around the program and, and helping you guys get to the heights that you guys are going to get to. No, 100%. And he's, he's still so involved. He's, he's working with the foundation and helping us do those things, raise some money, and, and just network with alumni and, and everything. And he, I mean, heck, he's one of the faces of Missouri State. So uh, you're, you're spot on. He's just a high-character person. And, and I'm so thankful that he gave me the space and the opportunity uh, to do so much with the program throughout our time together and then and then open the door for me to, to step into this role and uh, yeah. couldn't thank him enough. Best of luck. Well, I think that's a good stopping point. Yeah, yeah. Coach, thank We're you. We're going to sing Kumbaya after after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there, is there like a special Missouri State Bear handshake or something? I'm gonna... You'll never know. No, okay, I won't know. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate you coming up, man. This has been a this has been a blast. Uh, best of luck with the up, 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 upcoming season. When do you guys start your spring? Uh, Monday. We, we start. We, the guys are in campus and. Uh, just got back last week and and we start on monday and uh that's why this is a great time to come up and visit with you guys and yeah. thank you both and you know we're talking about recruiting in st louis this is recruiting right now you know, I, I hope st louis people hear this and know the bears uh, uh are listening. excited to, to to recruit and, and get guys to come down to missouri state yeah they're they're definitely listening thank you so much for your time jared as always you're the best zach I hope you sucked at bowling today. Um, uh, like, share, review, follow. I, I'm going to keep saying it because it, it's it's just that's simple. Just do it. It's free. Love you guys. We're on our way out. Thanks, Amsterdam Tavern. Catch you next time.